Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are here, the Neil Haley Show, Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And Dave, I'm still trying to get back better from Vegas. Uh, <laughs> just, I, it wasn't because of partying. It was because of how they worked me. Uh, when you go out with a client and you have to take care of all these different logistics, sure, sure, costing sure. and all that stuff, and I'm back here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, while you're in the nice, beautiful Los Angeles, California. Go ahead and introduce our guest. I know you're excited. This is the first time ever. I don't have to be the producer. You know the kind of questions to ask. (laughs) There you go. You and your wife watch the show all the time. Uh, so go ahead and tell tell us who our guest is. We're we're addicted to Idol, and we were so sad when it went off the air, but now it's back. And so here's the official uh, introduction to our guest, a powerhouse vocalist whose incredible stage presence and vocal maturity rank with the best. Elise Testone is the perfect combination of soul, rock, attitude, and restraint. Equally as impressive and at ease, belting James Brown style vocals over a relentless funk groove as she is resting her voice gently over a ballad. It's like poetry. <laughs> Testone's range of influences and vocal capacity no few limits. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you. Nice to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm a big fan, big fan of Idol, big fan of yours. And I got to just say right off the bat, you were robbed. And I think JLo agrees. (laughs) Not taking anything away from Phil Phillips. uh, (laughs) But you were were great. And um, Loved the duet you guys did. Loved everything you did. I haven't heard anything that I didn't like. So let's start right out. Did you always believe that you were going to be like this successful songwriter, song performer, successful period? That's an interesting way to put it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I would say that um, I definitely came out of the womb singing. Um, (laughs) It's kind of like... um, I have to do it, you know, it's kind of another form of breathing for me. If I don't do it, I, I get real weird, <laughs> real depressed. Um, I don't feel like myself. So it's a really natural thing for me to do. But, um, you know, success, uh, I guess that means, you know, me being, using my craft in a way that still yeah. keeps me happy without compromising my beliefs. Yes, I do feel like I am doing that. Um yeah. I define I define success as just doing what you were created to do. Yes, and your that's destiny. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's fantastic. And and uh, Elise, when you saw when you saw the the process of how you were going, and you said you said you were doing something you love, but you didn't think the journey that the journey that you ended up going on was that journey, right? When you wanted to be in music and songwriting, you never knew a platform like American Idol was going to take you off, right? Um, yeah, I actually in a million years never would have thought I would have done that show, to be honest. Um, I remember at the time I was, I was hustling and working, you know, like 12 gigs a week at times and teaching during the day. And I don't even think I slept that year. And then they, they came to my city and they said, you know, we want you to audition. And how old were you? Why not? You know? So, um, it was interesting. It was an interesting turn of events because I really don't watch a lot of TV in general, um, let alone reality shows. Um, but I really, I really am grateful for that that platform and that it was kind of like a stepping stone for me, you know. Um, which is interesting because a lot of people look at it like the end all of what of your life, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, when you don't win, people are patting you with like sympathy, like, you know, you did good. You know, I'm like, well, I'm not dead, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
So they but, came to they came to Columbia or Charleston. Where'd they come? Um, it was either Savannah or Charleston. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they said it was Charleston, but I think the first yeah. I've been to all of those cities because I did shows down there and I did a book signing in Mount Pleasant. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of the few people who know where that is. So I know you were good right out of the womb, but how good were you compared to how good you are now when you went to Idol? How old were you? Um, I was 27 when they approached Mm. me. So, you know, that's the age where like all artists. Yeah not live anymore. <laughs> well, I'm like, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well, you know. <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry. That was so where'd you rank in there? Uh, I got sixth place uh, on Idol. Well, I, I know that. I mean, uh, your own opinion of your voice and, and oh, how it was, where it was, how far did, did Idol catapult your, your development with your voice? Um. How do I answer this? Uh, well, I think I think I'm definitely the best now that I've been as a vocalist. Uh, but at the time of Idol, I actually a lot of people didn't know, but I had a lot of issues with my vocal cords. Mm. And the, the way the schedule is there, we didn't really have the proper time to like uh, warm up or do things sure. in the best way physically for your voice. So I actually feel like on that show was maybe not all my best performances. So it's really great that I got as far as I did. I'm really happy about that. Um, but now that I'm not on it and, you know, I'm healthier and I'm growing and I'm learning constantly how to kind of trim the fat off of like how much I'm singing. Sure, um, sure. if you know what I mean, like not over singing because it's easy for me to just go off on runs, you know, cause that's one, one yeah. thing I feel like I've always been blessed to be good at, but, um, yeah, now I'm just kind of more focused on like the service of the song and, and my vocal power, I think has increased. Yeah. Well, what did uh, you learn? What did you learn from American Idol? Like how to become a better singer and songwriter? Because again, working with such amazing people in this in this on this platform and getting judged, you learn just specific key things to become better at what you do as a performer. What did you learn? I think for me, what I got out of it more was more so like the mental stability, like uh being prepared to deal with the stress or the pressure or the anxiety of being a performer versus actually anyone showing me like technique. Cause um, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I think you. that was what I got out of it a lot, like finding a balance, um, you know, doing service to the song uh, more so than, than technique itself. If that's what, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of people broke down during those grueling, times i mean they had great voices and and everything was great but they just could not handle the stress and so they were out yeah that's huge yeah that's definitely a thing um and it's hard you know i'm never nervous i could i think the biggest crowd i performed live was like the mls the major league soccer cup that was david Mm -hmm. last game i did the national anthem it was like thirty thousand. and i'm like more calm doing that than a room full of like 15 people for some reason um, that was always fine, but it was always like the getting judged when you're done and just kind of like keeping your head up and not letting my emotions show so much if yeah. I don't agree or, you know, I think sometimes I probably came across the wrong way. And so that was a learning experience for sure. Well, let's talk about your fellow contestants. Um, everyone always says how nice everybody is. And it's just one big happy family. I mean, is that really true? Or are they just all, you know, bloodthirsty competitors and I hope you go down? Or do you cry when, when a friend of yours, you know, uh, you know, doesn't make it and they got to go home? I did. I cried when uh, mostly for two people, DeAndre uh, Breckensick, um, who I think is like one of the best singers in the world. Yeah. Uh, Hee-Joon Han. And Erica Van Pelt, um, we were probably the closest. Um, I was really close with Philip in the beginning, but um, I don't know. He just kind of he's doing his own thing now. So sure. <laughs> now, now when you talk about close, tell us what happens in between, like each week, and how the process goes, and what you do throughout that week. If you know you, hey. I'm, I'm back on American Idol for another week. What types of stuff did you do with the contestants throughout that time? In, um, yeah. 
I want to start by saying that was nine years ago, and I think I have early Alzheimer's, so I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> you can use caregiver day for that, too, but go ahead. Yeah. It was a whirlwind, probably, yeah. Um, well, it was a very interesting process because you started with about 120,000 people. Um, wow. You know, you got the cattle call, however many people in that city. And, and then it kind of keeps narrowing down, narrowing down. So uh, it was really fun because you got to know all different sorts of people and w- you bond instantly because you all have this similar goals, similar mm-hmm. paths you're pursuing. So um, I really was, everyone that I encountered, I pretty much became friends with. And, you know, we, I put any of my ego aside and just tried to work with those people the best I could and really get the most out of that experience. Um, so we, you know, the group things, uh, the group, uh, performances, I can remember this. Um, yeah, really bonded with them on that. Um, I have a lot of like band leading skills. So I ended up kind of taking some of the reins sometimes with those things. Cause I was like ancient compared to everybody on the show. Mm. Um, <laughs> so that was cool. You know, that was fun to like share that with people, um, and work as a team. Uh, and then as it, you know, got down and was stressful, we, we'd have like, like rooming together and stuff like that was really fun getting to know different people, um, sharing close quarters, like in a hotel room. Um, so I'm sure there was some romance going on between some of the contestants. How about, uh, yeah, there are some, not, <laughs> definitely not. During your and Phil's uh, duet, it almost looked like there were some sparks going on. Like you made him embarrassed. He <laughs> oh, started turning red. <laughs> he actually always had, um, the same girlfriend from, ah. Yeah, Sony saying somebody I used to know. That was a cool song. Yeah, that was cool. Um, yeah, that was that was that was fun. I, I always liked singing with him, and I always liked him. Uh, but it was never it was never like that. Yeah. No, but we were good friends. Well, were you trying to emulate any particular artist? I know you came singing out of the womb. Uh, <laughs> who did you Who did you listen to? <laughs> who is your favorite? Uh, my dad. Uh, he's he collects and repairs jukeboxes my whole life since mm. he. Was like 18 wow so all growing up he'd always be blasting records we'd have like 20 different shoeboxes at a time (laughs) working on them blasting like you know like queen beatles old school doo-wop stuff some jazz so all that stuff really like sounds are really crazy you know i really ingest sounds anything i hear i i hear everything it's sometimes a curse but so whatever he would play, it just kind of like sunk into my my, wow. my body, you know. So I was really influenced by more old school stuff, I would say. Yeah. Like old so Michael Jackson and all that. I don't care what anybody says about Michael Jackson. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I love him too. <laughs> yeah. So you're just yeah. being you. You're not really copying anybody's style or, or genre or anything. I don't, I don't feel like – I try not to do that. I do some tribute shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I do um, – you know, like once a year, I'll do like a little tour of Amy Winehouse, uh, mm-hmm. like a 10-piece band, an all-star band I'll put together, and then I'll throw all my original stuff in, into that show. Um, but I never try, I don't, I don't like listen to every single way she turns a note. I don't copy her. I just yeah. capture like the essence and like I find the connection and I emulate that. Well, I love your voice and it's very recognizable. I know when I hear it that it's you. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that most definitely. And uh, Dave's a huge fan in that way. How did you deal with once you got on American Idol, the fans now being recognized? That you was know, nine years ago. Again, I keep asking nine-year questions, but again, it is what it is. With whatever you go in your music career, American Idol will always come up in the title, regardless of you at one point, you know, land an, another top single or opportunity comes where you've written some huge song or a movie <laughs> comes out with your music. What do you think? Now, so tell me a little bit about that. Wait, so... Wait, yeah, no, no, like the, no, the question where I'm, I'm going at is how did you handle all that stardom and the fans and starting to build fans and following nine years wait, ago? Um, well, actually, I was kind of excited about it well first i have to understand that fame to me is sacrificing your privacy basically um it's not really you know some people want to oh i want to be famous i want to be famous you know and they don't understand like the responsibility of what that is so i was actually really excited about 
all the fans and the people that would just get happy when I would just walk into a room, you know, and, and to see them being happy when I barely did anything, you know, I just, I just show up somewhere and people are happy at that time. Um, that was really cool for me. I, it wasn't really overwhelming unless somebody grabbed me because that, that happens sometimes. Sometimes I didn't really like that. Um, but other than that, you know, I really was receptive to the fans and, I got a friend of mine who actually passed away. One of the songs is about her on the album. But at the time I got her to um, help me, like make sure I answered people and, and really like paid attention to as many people as I could on a personal level, because it was amazing that I could impact them in any sort of way, you know? Mm. Yeah. So you've got, you've got a couple of albums now, right? Uh, yeah, this is my second album. And then I also have three singles and then I'm on other people's work as well. That just came out this year too. You know, there's so much talent. I'm sorry to keep talking about Idol, but there's so much talent on Idol. Any one of those top 10 can are, are winners, as far as I'm concerned, and many of them have record deals today. Uh, I checked to see how many uh, albums uh, Phil Phillips has. I could only find two. Is that true? Um, so you're, I, you're I doing so. as well as he is. Yeah, Just and I'm, like, doing it, I'm doing it all on my own. I mean, he has uh, the label. Um, I think for the deal... So you're working harder. So I'm, I'm better than him. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, but I think that the deal, like it, when you win is you, you have to give them two albums under contract. I see. But I don't, I don't really remember. I mean, I don't know. It could have been different for him, but uh, that's what I remember from that. Now, Lise, you got to be excited. Second album out today. So I appreciate you giving us, taking the time as it's released today to talk to us. Uh, I'm, it's an honor for sure to you even consider us, but you're really excited about this, right? The new album. I'm really excited. I have, and I decided to do the album release show in Charleston because that's kind of where, you know, my second home is. And yeah. Where I feel like I kind of found my wings in a way. Um, so yeah, I flew down here to do it here first. And the band is fantastic it's i got a 12 piece band uh horns wow. singers, special gas percussion um and there's a huge buzz in the city and it's i don't know if you've been to charleston but it's a really amazing you said you had uh it's an amazing city yeah. Yeah. so yeah i i'm i'm so thrilled you know load-ins at 5 p.m so you got me in a good time <laughs> <laughs> now i was born in brooklyn too and uh that's no stranger to you as well right that's where i live now yeah ah what what area what Borough. I mean, not borough, but what the uh, neighborhood? Bushwick. I came from Prospect Park and Bay Ridge. Is that anywhere near you? Um, yeah, Bushwick is kind of near. Okay. Kind of, yeah, not too cool. far. So, tell us about the album that you're launching today. The album, yeah, it it's actually only six songs. I went. Um, it's it's a shorter album. I guess maybe technically it's an EP, but we're going with the album. Um, and I have a lot of special guests on there. Uh, Daru Jones, he played drums with uh, Jack White and Pete Rock and the hip, he's like hip hop and rock. So I mm. specifically wanted his sound for a couple of my songs because it really fit the vibe of what I wanted, uh, to create. Um, I have Robert Seawright on, uh, three tracks. He played with Beyonce, Snoop Dogg, Kim Burrell in the gospel scene. Uh, he runs the band called Ghost Note and he played in Snarky Puppy um mm -hmm. i got the guitar phenomenon uh he's six he just turned 16 but he was 14 when we wrote the song uh brandon taz meter hour um he starred in school of rock on broadway he's been on ellen he played with lady gaga he, he's fantastic he's like one of my best friends wow. um and uh mono neon the bass player last bass player to play with prince um also crazy weird you know, amazing music he's producing, you know, huge cult following for him. Uh, but these are all, these are all my friends and people that I really admire and who have influenced me. So it was a collaborative effort, um, to say, to say the least, you know, and there are co-writes and there's a lot of other people on it too. Uh, Warren Hill's guitar player, a, a lot of people. So how'd you come up with the title of the, uh, album? This is love. Well, I, I uh, was sitting on the album and I was like, I, I was just waiting for it to start. Like, what the hell am I going to call this album? Um, and I was, there's a line in the song, Something Told Me, it's a ballad on there, uh, it's the fifth song, uh, where I'm talking about like the idea of like when you think you're in love with someone because of that like passion and all the back and yeah. forth and maybe it's love and maybe it isn't, but you think it is because of that high rest right. passion. <laughs> and um and when you finally have it, and you, you know, this, this is it, you know, this is love. And, but honestly, when you, when I reflect on the songs, 
it, it's kind of like the love for me, love is different for everyone. And it starts with like self-love, you know, the first song. Yeah. Hey, that's a caregiver far. message. Yeah, like keeping your head up, like knowing who you are, like using your voice and then relationships and then relationships with managers. And then, you know, the love of my friend who passed away and that kind of love, you know, it's friendship. Mm. Uh, and then business. Well, the last one's about a, a business that where people didn't treat me right. Um, but it's just, this is love, you know, this is, this is what it, I've experienced, but also interesting because I'm still looking for. Well, it goes with, it goes along in the same theme as your last album. This is life. Now in, this is love. Yeah. I'm wondering what the next one's going to be. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I did actually just write um, a song that's a little bit more on a political level and uh, for an NPR tiny desk. I'm excited to, to work to get that out, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> so what are, what are your what are your goals as a musician and songwriter? What what do you want to accomplish in your career? Um, I I really just want to get to a point where, like like I was saying before, kind of similar where I don't want to compromise what I believe to do what I love. Um, but but be more comfortable. You know, I'd love to keep moving forward, and I feel like I am. Um, I guess my goal, what would be ideal for me, is to play like. 800 cap rooms i don't need to play arena shows but i, I mean i wouldn't mind doing that but i i like the more lower like intimate but not too small kind of vibe um where the music is respected and people really want to hear the music and it's not just wasted people in the bar you know just doing what i love to people who really appreciate what i'm doing mm -hmm. So when are you going to be in la i'm i'm i want to see you <laughs> i was just there in january um um, I always go in January. I do the NAM show, and then I, I record with Vic first, the drum company. Uh -huh. There's actually amazing videos coming out. Um, they come out every year, and I'm a part of this big production. Um, and, and they actually went, the last one went viral uh, with Stevie Wonder's drummer. Mm. Wow. Um, you about, should check it out. How about New York? What's your next uh, New York gig? Uh, my album release in New York is May 19th. Awesome. Yes, yeah. you're gonna be all you're gonna be all over the place for sure. Best place we can find information on you. Then Dave has the final question, as he always does for the show to help uh, do that. But what is um, where can we find info? Find the album, all that stuff. Where's best place? Um, I the album is everywhere. Uh, well, elisetestone.com is my website. I I think I need to add the album on there. Good. Thank you for asking me that. Um, but the album is everywhere. All digital platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, mm. Bandcamp, Spotify, SoundCloud. <laughs> um, and then uh, on Bandcamp, you can order like a hard copy of it. And then I'm working on vinyl. So I'll probably have vinyl by September. Fantastic. Awesome. awesome. So Dave has the final question and his questions involving caregiving. Uh, he has a tremendous story. Dave, tell your story really quick and uh, ask the final question. I'm just a normal guy going along. My wife gets a headache one day and turns into a stroke. She loses her speech, paralyzed on the right side. This was like 22 years ago. And after we get depressed for a couple of years, we decide to embrace the new normal. She makes us normal people look like whiners and complainers. And I'm traveling the world just sharing my message, how to prevent your loved one's illness or disease from killing you. Don't make the same mistakes I made, you know? So I go around asking people, you know, are you prepared for caregiving? Because you're either going to become one, you're going to need one, and now's the time to learn how to be one. Uh, so in your life, uh, any caregivers, uh, parents, grandparents, are they getting up there in, in years needing care? Yeah, my um, my great aunt actually uh, just got mm. diagnosed with dementia, oh. um, and she she's adorable. She's still, she's got wit for days, so she's still yeah. hilarious. Um our conversations are just jokes, you know, but she, she's definitely having trouble, you know? Yeah. And, and I've, I've lost my other grandparents. Um, yeah. Who's caring for your aunt? Well, this is kind of a new thing. So we're, we're, I guess. Figuring it out, huh? Figuring that out. But she does live with my cousin, her, her uh, daughter. All right. Well, make sure you send him over to caregiverdave.com and we'll teach him how to stay alive and stay out of the hospital okay. because 30% of them actually die and the rest of them become sicker. And that's my mission, just helping caregivers put their needs first, like you said before, you know, put your oxygen mask on first so that you can take care of everybody. Otherwise, you're both going down. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. You know what? You are a very fun interview, by the way. Very, uh, <laughs> very interactive. Are you going to do some acting someday? You seem like you'd be an actor, too. Oh, 
oh my god i did a um a play in la actually last april and the guy told me i only had to say a couple words and i was like all right fine because I, I i don't know if i'm good at acting because i'm so honest um like i don't it's hard for me sometimes to hide my emotions um that's the only thing so <laughs> um yeah and, and it ended up that i had a lot more than one line and <laughs> I'm not really sure I was, oh, I'm good at it. <laughs> you never know. Try anything. You never know. You got to be a jack of all trades in the industry of entertainment. So you never know what you'll do next or what opportunity will come. And they might Every, come everybody's reality. trying. Former American Idol contestants. I bet you that will come at one point. Or did I just come up with that idea? But you know, <laughs> from the former Idol, because what do you think of the difference between the old, the original Idol and this new one? Your opinion. I am not good at lying. Um, I haven't seen it. Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. Well, so you can ask me that question, you Neil. Okay, it's, Dave, it's, you answer that question then. I say it's identical. You know, I love the judges. Uh, so kudos. The, I, the, the last one's got a 10. These guys have a 10. Okay. All right. I have not, I watched the first one and I had one of the original American Idol winners yeah. and you to ask me who was it. And then my brain is just fried at this point in time, but uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. You guys have a nice holiday and uh, we will touch base again. And if you're ever in Pittsburgh, look me up, but Dave, you have a better chance of being in LA than Pittsburgh. That's <laughs> what I'll, I'll be the, only nationally syndicated radio host ever in Pittsburgh, especially with all the <laughs> new shows coming and everything and say, I'm from Pittsburgh. Oh, you're in LA, New York. No, Pittsburgh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm carrying the banner. Well, so at least thanks well, for calling. Somebody's got to be from Pittsburgh and, and, and best of luck. And thanks for calling. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm actually, I'm coming through Philly. I don't know how far that's probably. Ah, ah yeah. See, that's the only problem. Philly is Pittsburgh are yeah. far differences, but I'm happy to have you on again to promote anything you're doing in Philly at down the line or whatever. Just reach okay. out to me and uh, thanks for calling. All right. Thank you so thank much. You. All right, guys. Thanks again. All right. See you. Bye -bye. Bye All right. Bye -bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. That was Neil Haley's show. Take care, everyone. We're back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity segment. And I love talking to this guy. Uh, he's so much fun. And it's exciting about how the dog shows have kept going and getting larger and larger in scale in the two different shows that he does. So I'm excited to welcome the program John O'Hurley of NBC's The Beverly Hills Dog Show. John, how are you? And thanks for calling. Very, very well. I'm excited about what we're going to have on Easter Sunday. How about this, huh? Yeah, it's exciting for sure. Let's kind of go into specifically enough. You got started again the Thanksgiving uh, dog show, and it's just gone, and it's just grown from there, hasn't it, John? Doing, it has uh, it's been, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been just an extraordinary uh, 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 echelon, really. It started off. We had we were lucky enough with 19 million people that first year back in 2002, and this year we had over 32 million people watching it. So it has grown in its uh, in its scope and in its audience, and we're hoping that some of this will bleed over into um, a wonderful day on Easter because we're going to have the Beverly Hills Dog Show presented by Purina. Same 2,000 dogs, 180 different breeds, and all vying for best in show on a great family day, and it gives everybody something to watch on television exactly and before the beverly hills dog show was a different day than is that correct john that you were doing i'm sorry what years yeah this will be the this is the first time on nbc we had it on usa for the first two years and they just wanted to see how it did there uh they were very pleased with the results of the show and uh they're gonna it'll it'll ramp up now uh that nbc's promotion department has gotten a hold of it and uh, we put together quite a good show as well Oh, absolutely, and that's the that's the uh, exciting thing about it. And Easter now another family day to watch something that's so entertaining, and that's what the, why the show is so good, right? Having the whole family well, and watching. Yeah. Whether you're four or you're ninety-four, there's something you can watch. On, uh, on everybody loves their dogs, and and hopefully you're rooting for what we like to call the alma mater factor, which is that dog that's sitting right next to you on the couch. Oh, exactly. The dog that's sitting next to the couch for sure. And what is your favorite dog, John, in all the years you've been doing the show? Well, I am every year I'm a fan of the um, of the Irish Setter. And it's not because that would be a dog that I would particularly, uh, with my lifestyle, would be advantageous for me. But I do like the idea of um, when the dog walks into the arena. It just stuns everybody because it's so... 
It's just so elegant the way it comes in. The head is always held very erect. You have this beautiful flowing coat, this auburn color uh, against whatever color rug, the, uh, whatever color rug it is. And uh, my joke is that it always looks like the redhead that just walked into the cocktail party and every head turns. And it's funny, you you guys hosted it, you and David, for years, but now there's so much more coverage, right? So many other people involved in the show than when you first did the show, isn't it? True, John, the dog show. It's going to be... It's going to be yes. It, it's so many, so many more. Well, we have so many more breeds now. We have over 200 different breeds that are recognized by the um, uh, the AKC, and uh, more dogs are, are coming now to these shows because uh, it's becoming a much more uh, uh, family style sport, if you'll call it that. Uh, so many more people are trying to get involved in it, and uh, and you know, excellence begets excellence, I guess. And the coverage of the rest of your team that you'll have special guests for this, uh, for the show, especially Mario Lopez, Sean White, Ashley Tisdale, and more, right? And that's great uh, to have a bunch of people. The, yeah. The beautiful Bo Derek is there. Uh, we have, uh, yeah, Sean White is there with his dog. A lot of people show up with their dogs. They show up with their kids. Uh, it's it's just a great uh, fun a fun event to to celebrate not only the you know the 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 glamour of Tinseltown but also to celebrate the the rich history of uh, of, of the canine participation in in the world of entertainment Rin Tin Tin um, Lassie 101 Dalmatians uh, you know just dog after dog after dog has uh, has been a star uh, in Hollywood and for this one day they are stars again. And how have you improved in your years of being an announcer for the show? Have you learned more and more about uh, <clears throat> the whole judging process and become well, I wouldn't more and more knowledgeable? Yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I should, I, I think, with the osmosis of 18 years. But i got to tell you, in, in the long run, I'm still just another bozo on the bus. I, um, I have a good time with it, and uh, I, I try to have as much – I make as much – uh, uh, humor out of it as I possibly can to kind of round the edges off and have a lot of fun with it. Real uh, interesting, but what's interesting when you and David do the show, David's the real expert from the years he's done it, but the fact is, John, you're the commentator. It's like the way you guys work together is very, very interesting in my opinion, especially when usually the person that does the play-by-play is the real knowledgeable person sometimes in the thing. And then you guys kind of play back and forth together. Well, we do. You we work really well as we, a team. Yeah. Well, thank you for, thank you for noticing it. And thank you for mentioning it. We have a wonderful camaraderie together uh, and it carries off, uh, off camera as well. David and I have been dear friends since we met each other and uh, um, you know, we continue on with the success hopefully of the Beverly Hills show as well to include not only um uh, what we do uh, on camera, but also in our support of all of the other things uh, that we're involved with, which is uh, uh, the therapy dogs, uh, shelter dogs, and uh, David and I are, are both uh, very supportive of that together as a team. In the process of preparing for a big show like this, tell us what goes on like before preparing yourselves, you and David, to, to be able to go on the air on Easter Sure. Well, uh, you know, preparing an event like this for television is enormous because, remember, this is a huge arena. Uh, you know, it's not it's it's kind of the size of a basketball court and uh, uh, or even larger, actually. And you have a large arena of people. So preparing that for television uh, and getting those certain type of shots that you need to get to make it a good television event uh, is an is a wonderful, uh, wonderfully difficult and challenging uh, operation for our technical crew. But for David and I, it's, uh, you know, every year we have new breeds that uh, are being brought in, so we have to become very, very familiar with the new breeds. Um, every time a dog um, uh, is selected uh, for, a, um, for the best in show, we've got to know those breeds, you know, uh, backwards and forwards. Uh, so, and there's over 200 of them to, for them to choose from. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of research work, uh, but a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And every year we love the idea of introducing new dogs to, uh, to the world of, uh, of dog shows. And people come up to you all the time asking you about, hey, uh, I hope my dog wins, right? That's the nice thing about the growth <laughs> of it is 
Will my dog win? Do you have any chance to help me, right, John? Because they're all rooting yeah, for the dog well, it's, sitting it's, next to them. Yeah. Fortunately, it's well out of my hands. It's in the hands of people that, you know, for the judges, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I can't underscore how bright they have to be in assimilating all of the, the um, uh, information, the database that goes in with each of these breeds. Remember, they've got to know when you have a, when you have a best in show judge, he's got to know and have a comfortable working knowledge of 200 different breeds. Uh, to be able to make a judgment on whether this is the best specimen of that uh, of that breed so you know to say that um, they have to be kind of a walking computer is really an understatement Uh, and the amount of preparation they go through is crazy for sure as well and it's great again the work that you got you and david are doing with charity work as well so it's not just about these two big gigantic shows it's about really helping animals in general especially dogs and and the process of uh you know the best environment for them and also as you talked about the work with therapy dogs i got a story for you john i was flying into las vegas for the nab and i was flying southwest and uh i had to i'm six foot ten and i had to sit next to a therapy dog luckily so i could get a bigger seat and it was really interesting they had a big contest this guy trains dogs and it's tremendous work what they do uh how therapy dogs help people so much especially this guy yeah, has PTSD. yeah mm-hmm. and he's trying to yeah train they're really them, so it's amazing the dogs have done so much in our lives in addition to being just normal great normal companions for the average family uh, dogs do specialty work that is just extraordinary in terms of uh, uh, search and rescue efforts. Uh, the canine dogs for the police and the military, uh, therapy dogs for the kids in the hospitals that have cancer and other things and mental, mentally ill or have been abused. They're wonderful in, uh, facilitators in that regard. Uh, for our veterans, they do wonderful things as well. They're also, uh, even in the medical arena, where uh, they're being used now to be able to, uh, dogs can sense epileptic seizures prior to happening so that they can now then prepare the, prepare the person that's having the seizure to, uh, to be safe. Um, so, I mean, they, they're just, uh, dogs are marvelous things, and they are, the, they are the perfect companion to the human being, and they show that uh, to us every day with the fact that they are so focused on just giving us their love. So any new projects going on, John, also you want to promote that are coming up for you? Sure. I've got, uh, well, I've got my one... I have my one-man show that I'm touring around the country a bit called A Man with Standards. It's my one-man musical show that I wrote and uh, uh, was nominated for Best Show uh, out of New York last year uh, and uh, been doing that. I'll be down in uh, Baltimore, or excuse me, Annapolis, Maryland, uh, uh, next Thursday night doing that show on April 25th. And then I'll be uh, touring a little bit more with that show. And then I head off uh, for Greece for most of the month of May to film over there doing a brand-new film over there, so that'll be fun. And, uh, and then I'm taking the rest of the summer off. <laughs> well, you're doing a lot of things. It's very interesting, and you continue always. And we always will remember you for Seinfeld, and I know that, you know, that character I'm sure everyone talks about all the time still, John, even though it was a guest well, star appearance. People will never forget it. Well, I had a, a wonderful run for five seasons on the show, and uh, – Yep, Peterman was a lot of fun. It's nice to be able to put on that outfit every uh, every week for the show. And what is your favorite saying? Would you say in Seinfeld that you've said you said on the show? What would you say was your favorite line? Oh, probably in the wedding cake episode when I turn to Elaine and I say to her, "Elaine, do you have any idea what happens to a butter-based frosting after six decades in a poorly ventilated British basement? I think what you're about to go through will be punishment enough. Good day." That you're the, you're the best, John. Best place we can find information on you. Everyone needs to tune in on April 21st, Easter Sunday, from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on NBC. But best place we can c- check you out. Where can we go? Oh, you can go to my uh, Twitter site there. I am John O'Hurley. All right. Thanks, John, for calling, and thanks for coming on the show. Nice to talk to you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in We're back to Neil Haley's show on the Total Celebrity segment. And I tell you what, 
I remember this guy for one reason, and he's. I knew he. He. I'd come up and talk about this, and that's the drive. Uh, a huge Denver Bronco fan was watching it, was giving up, and and I could say I liked the Browns then too, because I don't think the Steelers were that good. They were an okay team, but they weren't good enough to go to that next level. And Anthony was tasting the Super Bowl, but I, again, I'm excited to welcome the program former Cleveland Brown, Philadelphia Eagle, and Steeler personnel, Anthony Griffin. Anthony, how are you? And thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Neil. Really appreciate this opportunity to come on. This is great. Feeling good. Feeling good. Uh, I know Better. you're. I know. I know you're feeling good, and uh, I think that we're gonna have like a a biweekly segment to talk about different things that are important. But I wanted the first thing I wanted to talk about is one thing that you've been really working hard to do is to work with kids, especially in the summers. But you're trying to expand that to even more things. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, one of the things everybody obviously understands my background being in sports, and I've had such a rewarding experience with sports and the life lessons that it brings. And I've always tried to give back and talk about uh, sports in that avenue as a positive thing. Now, I go to places and I talk, but I just try to make it so that kids and parents and communities, organizations, administrators understand that sports is a viable thing in our society that does have a positive uh, benefits. And so I come up with a, a system called life is a sport and you can win it. Life is a sport and you can win it. And that is really just some life skills that I have had uh, six elements in sports for you to train to really help kids to understand and parents understand about sports and what it can give you from a life skills standpoint. See, every athlete has to train. Every athlete has to get ready to compete. And every athlete has to come with the right mindset. And there are six elements that that involves. It involves your skill, your endurance, your speed, your conditioning, your diet, and your rest. And each of those, um, as an athlete, you will understand them or you've heard about them or somebody's going to keep preaching them to you. But I think that they also apply to your life and life skills. Uh, skill is the number one thing in sports, no matter how strong, no matter how fast. Your skill level is really going to be the separator for you in any sport, how much better at a skilled position you are than the person you're competing against. And also, that's the same in life. Your skill, what do you go to school for? What are you studying? What are you trying to be better at? So for me, I try to have it so that I can go out and I can talk to kids. I have different venues that do that in. Um, where We've uh, had what we call stepping toward success seminars where kids can come. We're going to have another one this summer, um, this summer or fall, where kids can come to a place and get those um, winning elements, the Life is a Sport Winning series. Um, we have it one-on-one -on -one counseling. I've done one-on-one -on -one counseling with kids. I go in, I do assemblies. I go in and do special uh, uh, workshops where I'm there for a certain amount of hours or I'm there for a certain amount of weeks and kids come. So different venues, uh, working with the Steelers that give me a great insight to a lot of things because I work with the Steelers in player development as their director of player development. It gave me a lot of uh, life skills at the highest level. These guys, uh, players, uh, people and, and shoes that I've, that I played in that I, I've been a professional athlete. So I know some of the shortcomings too. And I see that it really starts with the kids at a young age of life skills. And so with that, I'm uh, trying to put that out there a little bit more trying to see, and there's a lot of organizations and businesses that definitely. help me do that. And you're one of them. No, that definitely. And it's such an important thing uh, to teach those life skills and bringing up the whole life as a sport because there's adversity in sports, uh, not to mention uh, the great season that your daughter had at IUP, but to have to take that, that loss in the Final Four where they all wanted to win the national championship, that's a life lesson, isn't it, Anthony? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's such a dynamic part of sports that uh, people forget that this it's entertainment. But it's not like reading a book or it's not like uh, going to see a movie or going to see a play or any kind of performance because you're dealing with raw emotions. Things change so quick, up, down, you're winning, you're losing, you lost, you won. Um, you put so much into it. You put your feeling into it. So the raw emotions that are hanging in the balance from a game when you are at that final four or you're in the championship game and you come up short, it does hurt you. It hurts. Um, and then you keep playing and it can happen at any level from the peewee leagues all the way up to professional leagues. Uh, my daughter and son, they play basketball and I've been up and down the roads 
watching them in championship games from the state level to uh, the national level. And losing is losing. Um, and winning is winning. That's what you're in it for. And you compete, but there's, there's really no guarantee. It's not a science. There's nothing to it. You can have all the strategies you want, but you got to execute. And the human element in it all is your, 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 your variable that you really can't control. You have to have a great attitude. You have to do everything right. You have to put the shot up and expecting yourself to make it. And so is life. Life is the same way. When you take the shot, you got to believe you're going to make it. You got, when you take the shot to try to be the best, you got to believe you're going to make it. When you go for the job, you got to believe you can get it. When you do things, you got to believe. And so that's an attitude, but it's, it's such a variable attitude that can change because of the weather, because of your relationship, because of what you eat, because of so much that if you can foresee yourself in certain situations, then you can go into it better and come out of it better. And therein lies a lot of uh, what life's a sport, you can win it, is all about. So my kids have uh, learned a lot of things in sports. I've learned a lot of things. My wife's learned a lot of things. And uh, it's been a great road to be on. It's been up and down. But it's just one of those things in life that kind of spells it all out. Um, that we don't you, have you're, you're so right. And the problem is that there are going to be those adversities. You're going to go to the pinnacle in certain ways, and then you're going to have your bad days. And in life, the same thing. And you got to teach kids that, hey, you're going to get a bad grade. You're going to ha- break up with uh, uh, someone. You're going to lose a loved one. You're going to you're going to fall when you least expect to fall. But how do you respond? Is what sports is all about. The adversity. Do we respond like Latin? Do you, do you next the next day? You got to go out and train after you lose. You can't. You got to forget about what happened and move on to the next thing. In life, it's the same thing, and that's such a great point, Anthony, for sure. Yeah, definitely, and that's how it was with the drive, Neil. That's how it was with the drive and the fumble, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't talk about the fumble. That'll have to be for another episode. That was another one of my favorite sports moments. So you're going to really like me, Anthony, for sure, when I talk about that, the, those two things. Okay, so that is awesome. People can uh, check you out, and we'll talk about that at the end. But also you have some things now really looking at responsibilities as individuals. You talk about life being a sport, but people have to have responsibilities and protect themselves. Explain a little bit about that, Anthony. Yes, I think it's something that it's not just for kids. I think that's a great life lesson as a parent. That's what you want your kids to really get to, um, the responsibility of things. Um, You still learn responsibility. As you get older, you keep gaining responsibility. You keep learning. You keep refining your responsibilities. But when you get older, there's a lot of things that start to happen, which is basically uh, after 18, you become an adult and you're held a little bit more accountable uh, to society. Um, So with that, the legal system comes into play. Basically, it's no longer just punishment or you get in trouble at home. You can get in trouble with the law. And so I've been able to uh, be with the company that allows people, make it affordable for people to uh, have legal services um, at their disposal. Um, anything that's uh, could be a speeding ticket, you can send in a copy of your speeding ticket, take a picture of it, send it in and, and have an attorney look at it and give you some great advice and con- consult with you. Uh, you. You get into a rental situation, you want to buy a car, any type of agreement they can look at. So um, by having legal shield and legal protection, it allows you to feel a little bit more confident about some of the situations and relationships that you can get into on a day-to-day basis or month-to-month, depending on what you're, which you don't may not may not understand some things, and you can have somebody uh, at the at the at a law level to understand it and, and really give it back to you, so you can understand what you're getting into. And that's been so rewarding because yes, it, it it's just a great way that people now feel empowered. And, and I agree with you. And the fact is, I, I think about it in the business factors. I, I have it myself for my business because I've been through two possible legal things that were out of my control. One had to do with the copyright infringement. So anyone listening to this show, trust me, don't use someone's photo unless you have permission or you know it, they own it. Most photographers own their own photos. And I went through this with my interview with Newt Gingrich that my webmaster decided to post a Getty image. He didn't know it was a Getty image. And uh, good old uh, something Francais Presse, that's what they're called, Francais Presse. They're out the French, they're like one of 
the big like Fox News for France, they went after me and they had an organization and it was never copyrighted. It wasn't a Getty image and they never copyrighted the photo, but I had to hire a lawyer and in just one conversation, sitting down for an hour, it was over $100. But Get this, if I wanted him to finally settle it, but good news is he already investigated, I'm fine, there's no way, they're just threatening me, then they just like, they, 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 the amount of money it would cost to file, it, it was gonna be $350 for a photo that I'm just doing to promote Newt Gingrich. So what I'm saying to everyone out there, ladies and gentlemen, is that you need to have legal uh uh, legal process. You need to ha have legal representation. And not, not all of us can afford, or is it even worth to have a lawyer on retainer? What are the costs for a lawyer on retainer, Anthony? Oh, man, you're you're talking thousands of dollars. You're talking thousands of dollars, and they're usually for the big wigs. Uh, celebrities try to have that, but it, it's a different world when you start having lawyers on retainers, and you have a different um, you're not in the mainstream of life and what things that affect you. You're usually using a lawyer, you have things coming at you from different angles because uh, people uh, see that you have that kind of wealth and people are coming at you and suing you all pretty much on a daily or monthly basis. So you have that attorney. But for 80, 80 cents a day, 80 cents a day or less than 80 cents a day, you can have uh, the, the same calls and same consultations, the same representation, the same uh, uh, advice given to you um, to handle certain things to make sure that you are your rights are covered and that they haven't been infringed upon. So it's been really, right. really rewarding with that. And I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, not even a lawyer on retainer, just to go ahead and say, I have my lawyer and I'm going to contact them. And it's going to cost me thousands and thousands of dollars each year that could be saved for a business. It could be revenue for your business. I'm talking in a business factor, but just imagine so many businesses, how much money they spend on lawyers that they could just get legal shield. And they'd be in the same situation if they're a small business instead of spending money on lawyers that could be profit for them. Yeah, and small businesses, you hit it. That's where I try to make the biggest impact on small businesses, people who have maybe two to 10 uh, employees or less. And most small businesses, 60, I mean, 70% of, of America, uh, small businesses, uh, that's what small businesses are defined as. They're, they're really two employees, three employees. But not just the businesses, the employees themselves, the employers can also offer this to their employees as a benefit. Uh, they can offer to their employees, this is a benefit that your that the employer can offer and say, hey, you can deduct this out of your pay we, it's for less than 80 cents a day, $24 a month. You will have uh, uh, legal representation at your at your fingertips. You have an app, you're somewhere in the country something happens to you on vacation, whatever, you can take a picture, you can send it to your firm and they'll get back with you that same day and you will have somebody who can represent you. you you're being mistreated in the hotel. Um, they're telling you you can't do this. Um, all that can happen for you uh, at, at the apps that are on your phone. In today's it's, society, it's that's how quickly things happen. And it's just like having insurance for life insurance or health insurance or property insurance, you need legal representation. And Anthony, you definitely do. So the best place to contact you is on any of your social media at Anthony Griggs 53 or also your website, right, Anthony? That is correct. What is the website that people can check you out? Uh, www.anthonygriggs.com. www.anthonygriggs.com. Fantastic. Look forward to our next. Uh, we're going to kind of break down a lot of different things from kids' advice for parents, but also legal advice, meaning legal advice of what to do if you're in that situation. And in scenarios like I just gave today about my Newt Gingrich situation, that you are going to be the guy that's out there speaking and you're going to help others. And that's important. And that's your mission. And thanks again for calling. Oh, thank you, Neil. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're great in everything you're doing and everything that you're putting out there from the information. It starts with the knowledge. It starts with knowledge, and you're definitely giving it out to the people, and I want to help give it out, too. All right, Anthony. Thanks for calling, man. See All right. You. All right, see you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show in the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome to the show Natalie Morales and Nelson Franklin of NBC's Abbey's. 
Guys, how are you? And thanks for calling. Oh, uh, we're good. Thanks for having us. Much better now. Yeah. Thanks for having us, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you as well. And it's a very interesting storyline, Natalie, isn't it? Abby's. Uh, you think about, okay, a bar in San Diego, but it's a different type of bar, isn't it? It's an illegal outdoor uh, backyard bar. And we, uh, we shot every single episode outside with a live audience. With a live audience. So that's got to be wild. Nelson, that's got to be a strange recording, isn't it, outside and live? Oh, yeah. I was pretty worried about it at first, but then I realized it's the best thing ever. It was and so fun. I wish fun. that all of our jobs were outside. We get to be outside all day. Yeah, it was Southern really, California. It was really fun, yeah. <laughs> so, Natalie, did it take place? Did you film in San Diego, even though they say it's in San Diego? Or, no, uh, we shot at Universal Studios. Um, in the back lot okay. at Universal Studios, there's like a neighborhood street, which is where they shot Desperate Housewives. Yep. It was like that's the Wisteria Lane uh, or the Leave it to Beaver Street yep. or uh, the Munsters Street, what have you. Um, so the, in the back of one of those houses on that street, they built a whole bar set, and, yep. uh, and that's where we shot it. It's a real house in a real backyard. Yeah. Uh, all right, so Nelson, so... You were hoping good weather all the time, right? Especially days of shooting. Yes, yes. We did have a backup. We, we they built a replica of the set on a stage, but we ended up never using it because we never got any rain, which is uh, which is lucky. But also, we need the rain. So. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but yeah, you know, you're Southern California. It's raining right now in Pittsburgh, so I have to deal with it. So, Natalie, let's talk about your character and talk about the show. I've kind of already okay. kind of delved into the the, the strange. Uh, storyline you think of a bar say all right a bar you start reading the storyline and you say outdoors and illegal okay so natalie tell us about it yeah yeah it's um you know i play abby who started this bar in her backyard and uh i think she was working at a few different bars in her life and was uh was just sort of tired of people telling her what to do and tired of of how gross some bar environments can be so she decided to do her own thing and that's uh, that's interesting. And so, Nelson, you didn't like that, right? Your character does not like that at all, right, at first, finding out about yeah. Natalie's uh, activity, right? Yeah. So uh, she's been getting away with having this bar in her backyard because her landlord has been like this 99-year-old woman who lives in another state and sort of never knew what was going on. But when I inherit the property, I immediately am, am really freaked out. I'm like, you got to shut this down. I could go to jail. You know, this is a big problem. Uh, and I agree to let the bar open only because um, my character Bill is sort of at a, a sad time in his life. He just got divorced, and he sort of lost a lot of his friends in the divorce, and he decided, you know, these can be my new friends, and uh, he's sort of uh, persuaded to leave the bar open as long as he can hang out there. <laughs> so definitely a comedy, Natalie, and uh, is your character, I'm sure, is going to – go things, but your bar is different than any bar, even though it's illegal and it's outdoors. Also, you have other rules. So you have more rules and regulations than regular bars do, don't you, Natalie? We, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we do, but the rules are, are decided by a committee of regulars. So the rules are in place to keep the bar, you know, the same place that we all want to hang out in. So the, the rules are stuff like no cell phones and no visors and all tacos <laughs> are group tacos. <laughs> Yeah, you know, quality of life stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but see, Nelson, there you go. So there is not really illegal activity. You, you have to kind of chill out because not allowing cell phones, that's a great thing, right? Because I don't, I don't think the bar seems like when I was going to bars, Nelson, and I possibly when you have gone to bars as well, the, the scene's completely different. Everyone's staring oh. at the phone, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, if I had my way, I'm sure it would be like this at all bars with no phone. Look, you need a phone, I get it. But also, you're there to have a drink with someone you know or to meet somebody. Also, when it's an illegal bar, you don't want anybody taking pictures. That's true, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome, great. And I think that the kind of patrons we're going to see, it's going to be interesting, right, Natalie? The people you invite, you have to be the chosen, right, in certain ways that have certain yeah, I, I, connectivity and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, anybody can walk in, but to be a regular and to be to have a seat at the bar is a very coveted honor, which uh, only very few get. Yeah, it's a long process. So if you get to sit at that bar, you really won the place over. You've made it, uh-huh. and that's sort of the gift they give me to just keep it open in that terms <laughs> and shut it down. 
Awesome. And Nelson, this your character in this show, a little different than any other character, or kind of similar in some ways? This character is, is, yeah, I, I feel like I usually play, like, a guy who's, like, um, pretty tame or, like, lame or, like, lets people walk all over. And this time it's a little different. I mean, he's his own guy, Bill, and he's, he's like, the boss of the property or whatever. You know, he's the landlord, he, and he acts as such. He's sort of annoying. But... He's also got a much softer side, and he. This is what my favorite character I've ever played because it's sort of the most like me, uh, <laughs> which is that I'm a little stiff, but also I can relax a little yeah. bit and be friendly. Yeah. Absolutely, Natalie. Your character. Do you feel it's different than some of the other characters you've played? Um, definitely. I mean, I've never played. Uh, Abby is a is a Marine vet. She uh, she's a staff sergeant. She did two tours in Afghanistan. I've never played a vet before, so that's exciting. Um, and I think I, this is the first time I get to play someone who uh, is, is <laughs> like, this a protective of a place that she's built and, and will, will fight you for it. It's, it's, very, uh, it's very fun to play her. I, I, don't, I certainly don't have... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.